EFTM Tech Cars Lifestyle This is the EFTM Podcast with Trevor Long EFTM Thank you for listening, thank you for downloading Lovely to be with you once again on the EFTM Podcast oh, It's been a busy week, she whiz um, I don't know why though, it just, it just has A um, lot of fun stuff coming up this week on the Today Show I spent actually uh, most of this morning, this podcast is late I am trying to do the show every Tuesday morning, uh, so you get it on Tuesday afternoon. That didn't work last week because of dub-dub. Uh, look, I'm doing my best, okay? Just cut me some slack. Um, no, this morning, I uh, spent a bit of time filming a story, which you'll see on Thursday morning on the Today Show, about TV buying advice. Because frankly, I, I've had so many questions in the last few weeks, and we say this in the show if it makes the cut. I've just been overwhelmed by people asking me that simple question. You know, what do I buy? How do what's what do I the difference between this and that? Just so many calls about TVs. You've heard a lot of them here on uh, on the show in the last few weeks. So um, it was a fun little segment in, in which, if you follow me on Instagram uh, at TrevorLongAU, you will see the um, crazy thing we did, which was put my mug up on every screen in a Harvey Norman store. Um, it was daunting, but hey, pretty cool. I won't lie. Loved it. Um, so that's uh, that's why it's been a busy week. Uh, it's all happening. And I'm trying to prepare to leave on a little mini road trip with Stephen Fennick tomorrow. Um, I haven't moved anything from the office. I haven't packed anything. <sighs> I'm not really ready, I'll be honest. But maybe that's going to be a late night tonight or an early morning tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow doing that. Um, but anyway, uh, EFTM is the show. EFTM.com is the website. You can go anytime and you can... Uh, Send a message, uh, leave a question, whatever you like. Um, we have a stack to get through today. I want to bring you a conversation I had with um, an absolute um, very smart engineer at Dyson, um, and it's not in an area you would normally expect, as well as a professor. We're going to have a conversation about air quality. I've been I've been partaking in an experiment with the people at Dyson um, globally, and it's very fascinating, to be honest, about air quality and um what we learn is quite interesting. So that's you'll hear about that today, plus there's a bit to come in the weeks and months ahead in terms of my own results from that experiment. So we've got that, we've got a bunch of calls, um, and I might have a whinge about stuff. You know, you just never know. It might sound crazy what I'm about to say But Trevor Long's the world's best techie just take the world too seriously don't they um look i last night purely because i followed the debate about funding of the abc quite closely i worked at a public broadcaster sbs for eight years um pretty pretty close to the process within public broadcasters and the budgets because i ran the budget of about 21 22 million dollars in the radio division in uh sbs for for several years 
There's an observation I made around eight cents a day, getting your value for money. Our mate Flipsy, massive lefty, loves his ABC, and good on him. I love him. Um, you know, loves, loves mentioning the eight cents a day. And we're literally just talking about this in the WhatsApp group that we have for CES. Jolly, Flipsy, me, the Stig, um, just chatting about stuff. It's what we do. And someone, I think it was Flipsy, mentioned the eight cents a day. And I thought, oh, I might look into that. I was bored. It was nighttime. I was waiting for Paul Murray to start. And I did the numbers. Um, in 2017, the ABC had funding of $1.036 billion. It's a lot of money, but that's what it costs to run the ABC. And in 2017, there were 13.8 million taxpayers in the country, which works out to be 20 cents a day. Um, across the entire population, it's 11.4 cents a day. I was simply making the observation. I'll read you the exact tweet. Now, maybe I'm naive, but this was my tweet. The famous eight cents a day for the ABC. Look, you might say I have too much time on my hands, but using their 2017 government funding of $1.036 billion and the population of 24.9, it's now 11.4 cents a day. Among the actual taxpayers, 13.8 million in 2017, it's 20 cents a day. That's all I said. That's all I said. And Jesus, haven't the narcs unleashed, which as you well know, it's one of my favourite things on Twitter, is arguing with narcs, just because why not? Um, the fun one was, you know, what's your point? They don't use that phrase in marketing. Whatever it costs, it's great value. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But a lot of people quote that number in arguments. I'm just giving you an update. I'm just giving you an accurate update. And then and then it's like, uh, I'll play two on historical benchmarks. Sydney house price in 87 was $120,000. Now it's a million dollars. Yeah, good. Let's talk a million dollars instead of 180. I'm just talking about facts and the basics here, people. The best one was some dude. G'day, Jonathan. Um, whose who's bio on Twitter says, I'm obsessed by language, messaging, and media. What a legend. And, well, he didn't hold back at all, to be honest. It was pretty, it was pretty, uh, shall we say, animated um, <laughs> about the whole thing. Um, he said, utter crap. Your tweet emits key information and makes it look like they're getting more funding. And you know people will spread it from an ideological position against public media. Would you compare the numbers on house prices? Same thing again. Or would you compare hospital funding? And I just went, mate, honestly, um, you're the one talking ideology. I'm just talking about money. I'm just trying to make a point. There's no, I'm just trying to correct people. Um, let me be very clear because most of you are loyal long-term listeners. Um, I love the ABC. I think the ABC is an important part of the fabric of Australian society. I don't think the ABC deserves 200 million more dollars, but I certainly don't think we should cut them any more than they already have been. They haven't, in fact, had their funding cut almost at all. In fact, if you look at the numbers I've produced over the years, they've had a 5% increase over the last six years. That's terrible. It's not a lot. It's not inflation. But they've also been asked, like every public service, to be more efficient. And so that's what they've been doing. Apparently, Media Watch last night ran a story about how, you know, in 1987, they had one TV station and, you know, one whatever, and a certain number of radio stations. And now they've got five. Do you know what? Cut back. Oh, cut back. I don't know what the numbers are. I should look. I should look at the, the ratings. But you know what? The ABC shouldn't, and, and I don't believe is, judged by ratings. They're not competing for um, <laughs> they're not competing for revenue share. 
So why should they be competing for ratings? They should just do great content and be satisfied with a bunch of viewers. Like, that's awesome. Let's just do that. You know, they get 700,000 people watching their um, nightly news on the TV. That's excellent. Keep it going. But then when you look at like the multi-channel ratings, let's just look at what the ABC rates. ABC Kids and Comedy is the only channel worth having because it, with Bluey and Dog Loves Books and Bananas in Pajamas, it's an important part of parenting, basically. ABC News Channel rates pretty darn well. So let's keep kids. Let's keep news. Let's keep ABC One or whatever the hell it's called. And whatever the hell else they're doing, just stop it. And you know what else they could do from a technology perspective? They could, in, they could make them all high definition. They could increase the quality of the picture on every one of them if they got rid of the extra multi-channels. So I'm just saying, can we just not reassess what, what they're doing and whether we need it all? I'm not saying sack anyone. I hate when people get sacked. It's terrible. But, geez, everyone calm down. We're all allowed to talk about it, aren't we? It's not the end of the world if we have a conversation about it. I don't know what ABC Me is, but we probably don't need it. I know it's for teenagers or something like that, but they're not watching this. They're watching YouTube, breaking news. Um, I don't think the ABC should be spending any money on advertising itself on Facebook or Google Keywords and all that stuff. Um, I think the if I was at the – here's what I'd do. If I was at the ABC, right – and I'd go in as a consultant any day of the week, just FYI. I would move heaven and earth to put much more resources into news and regional news. Much more. Because it's what they do best. It's what they do best. So let's invest in it. But you know what? If you're competing against the commercials in some areas and online and all that stuff, Let's just focus on what matters. Let's focus on what is giving best value to all taxpayers. I'm just saying it's now 11 cents. Okay, it's not eight. <laughs> Unleash the beast, though. God love it. Um, always welcome your thoughts and your conversation. If you identify as a follower of mine, the conversations I have with you are much more pleasant. First thing I do before I engage with anyone on Twitter is see if they're a follower. If you've been following me on Twitter then I, get a, I hope that you've got a sense of my broad church of opinion. But if you simply reply to a single tweet, then I'm not really going to give too much of a rats about what you say and who you are because I'm not losing anything if you don't like me. Whereas if you were listening to this podcast and you were willing to, to unsubscribe or tune out because of an opinion I held, then okay, I, I, I'd, I'd want to rethink it. But I'd also hope that you welcome an open opinion. So there you go. That was a solid non-tech editorial on the EFTM podcast. Welcome your thoughts um, and happy to debate it. If you want to get on the show, I'll happily talk to you next week. Um, just go to the website, EFTM.com. Let's get cracking with calls and then we're going to talk air quality. EFTM. You're listening to the EFTM podcast. EFTM. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Great to have your company. Uh, if you want to get in touch, if you've got a question about anything Related to the world of EFTM, just go to the website, EFTM.com. I'll get you on the blind. We'll have a chat. G'day, Josh. G'day, mate. Yeah, how are you, buddy? I am uh, I'm really well. I'm in Queensland, so I'm wearing shorts and a shirt, which I understand is weird for the rest of the country. Well, I understand that, but you've also got no tourism, so uh, <laughs> there's that. Wow. Knife in the back. No, not of you, <laughs> of your of your premier. But <laughs> yeah, true. School holidays, man. We would have all loved to have come and visited. Not the Melbournians. We wouldn't want them, but... 
the rest of yeah, us yeah. are fine. <laughs> but how, how have you coped, mate? You're a wedding celebrant. You're a man of many mysteries. How have you coped during COVID, my man? Mate, this has been the uh, worst time in my uh, professional life. It's, yeah. um, it's, it's yuck, you know. Uh, and if, if it was just me, I would certainly take this opportunity to direct everyone to my GoFundMe link. But sure. it's not just me. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, so it's all of us. So we're just going to try and uh, power on through. Uh, is, is it... Is it going to come back sooner rather than later for the wedding industry or are people just so fixed on massive big weddings that they want it to be normal again? Uh, look, I'm lucky in that the, the spheres that I kind of run in, we are much more focused on the, um, it's just good to be married, you know, not so yeah. much the, yep. the Hollywood kind of, you know, big, crazy, silly wedding. Um, but with that said, people are still going to have money yep. and, uh, and this year, um, this year was really, really special for us in that we were, uh, this is our international year. We had booked, um, like yeah. right now, I'm supposed to be in Italy. I'm supposed to be doing a wedding in Puglia today. And uh, so we'd really kind of hedged this whole year to be an international year. And uh, what a year to go international, you know? I feel like what you should do is delete all those things from your calendar so you're not constantly <laughs> reminded of what you would have been doing on this day. Yeah, Maybe. yeah, that's Maybe. smart. But, mate, <laughs> uh, you're also a gadget nerd. What's, uh, what's on your mind? Well, we've just, because um, we're supposed to be overseas uh, and we're not, we had to find a new place to live because we rented out a house for the year, so our house is looked after. Um, <laughs> and so we've just taken a, a little um, holiday unit, um, and it's it's a great place for us at the moment. And uh, north-facing, so great view of the ocean. It's a, just a, it's a really good place, but... Uh, the um the whole apartment gets great sun through the day, which is going to be it's nice at times, but also sometimes you want to, you know, block that out. So we've uh, the previous owners had some blockout blinds put in, and they're fine. They like them. They're not great. They're not cheap. They're not amazing. And uh, and one of the blinds, the kind of mechanism broke, and so that started me thinking: if I'm going to do something, should I kind of yeah. do something? You know, uh, and I started kind of thinking about smart blinds. I'd heard someone talk about it on a, on a podcast before. And uh, my preference is the HomeKit ecosystem. Yeah, you're an Apple um, man. I, yeah, I'm an Apple man, and I, and, and I, I, just, I haven't got a Google Home or an Amazon um, thing in my house, and so it'd be nice to be able to yell out to Siri to do things. Uh, but also, I understand not everything is HomeKit, and so sometimes you've just, just got to have an app installed. Uh, but it, like from a couple of quick Google searches, there doesn't seem to be a whole range of products available. Um, I know IKEA has their stuff, yep. and that seems very regimented. Like it, if if their exact product works for you, then great. But if if it doesn't, then it doesn't. And uh, I just thought I'd uh, talk to you about that. And like, are you aware of any other great products? It's funny. So you're you're talking uh, roller as in rolls at the top and comes down as a kind yep. of blockout all the way down. Um, That's the one. Yeah. The kind of because IKEA do have that. In fact, I've got IKEA blinds at the office that are just their their generic ones. I should upgrade them to their app ones. But are they actually smart controlled? Or are they just remote controlled? Uh, so yeah, it's it's a little bit complex, and the website doesn't tell you anything. You have to go in store and try and read the boxes yourself. Uh. Uh, so they um they're battery operated, so so you can buy extra batteries and kind of do. I know you were talking about on a previous podcast about uh, um uh, your cameras was you had an yep. extra battery. You just yep. kind of do the swap around. Yeah. So you can do that with the blinds, and there is a remote. And from what I can gather, without having purchased them, the remote um can act for up to I think four or five blinds. And then either the remote or the blinds can talk to a hub, and the hub is um, – it's a Zigbee hub, oh, okay. which is also HomeKit enabled. So there's there's a remote and there's a hub, and I don't know if if you go fully smart. I don't know if the remote becomes redundant, but yeah. yeah. Right. So – because like, 
They're obviously the out-of-the-box solution, but I think you're right. It, it's a complex web of maybe it won't work anyway. I know that um, the Connect Smart Home stuff at Harvey Norman, which is just laser, it's cheap as, they had a curtain rail. I, I know that. Like it was a you know curtain, so you could literally have a curtain mm. shut and close. But I don't think they had a uh, roller blind. But what I did find was one called – and. There's two problems with this. I've never heard of it after, apart from Google searching. And secondly, it seems expensive. It's called Soma, S-O-M-A, Soma okay. Smart Shades. You know, the on, on the roller blinds, they all have that chain yeah. with, the, with the little tiny nodules on it, right? Little like ball bearings up and down it, right? It yeah. looks like this little unit just sits, you, you kind of stick it, screw it onto the wall, and, and you just thread the chain through it, and it then becomes uh, an automated human, right? So you don't actually, it's a, like a retrofit. And the thing about that is perfect for renting because, yeah. like, you don't, you don't have to take blinds away. You could actually take this thing away, but it's 200 yeah, yeah. bucks. I don't know. Oh. 200 bucks seems like a lot of money for a little thing that will wind up and down the blind for me. Uh, but it does say uh, HomeKit, Google Home, Alexa compatible. So, um, you know, like pretty cool if it works. Yeah, and, and I suppose I look at that and I'm looking at eight of those. And so oh, right. yeah, yeah, it's yeah, nah, 1600 bucks. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think you're going to find a solution, mate. I think you need to get up off your ass and pull the blinds down. <laughs> it's 2020, mate. Why can't I just yell at something? Well, you can. It just won't do anything. <laughs> you know what I've got to do? I've got to wait for my daughter to grow up a little bit older and she can become my own personal Siri. Can I, can I tell you right now, as a father of now 13, 9 and 8-year-olds, there is nothing better than sitting on the lounge and going, mate, can you just, say, can you just get me the Foxtel remote? Or can you just go get me a paddle pop? Like, and they just do it because they know that they have to. Like, it's a it's a clear leadership position you have as yep. as the parent, and it's fantastic. It really is. Great. Um, I will keep searching. If anyone listening has suggestions on roller blind automation, let us know. But maybe we've found the market for like this is a, this is the thing that Connect Smart Home need the people at Laser need to understand is how big is this market? Because if they made a curtain rail. I know there's a lot of people with curtains, but I would say roller blinds are way more popular and in use than curtains. So that's what we want is a retrofit on on roller blinds. Yeah, that retrofit sounds price. really good. Yeah. And for two hundred bucks, see, so you can get the IKEA ones. They all kind of range around that two hundred give or take. Yeah, so if you're going to spend two hundred, you may as well get them. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of money though. For if you want eight of them, yeah. far out. It's a rental, mate. Just remember that, okay? Thanks, mate. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks for getting in touch and uh, stay well and good luck with the with the hopeful uptick in, in weddings when it comes, mate. Thanks, mate. Thinking of you. And if you've got a question, comment, whatever it is, just go to the website, eftm.com. EFTM, the podcast. Uh, Trevor along with you and you can get in touch anytime you like at the website, eftm.com. G'day, Glenn. G'day, Trevor. How are you, Jim? Good, buddy. And you? Oh, sensational. Sensational. This, uh, this is Glenn, who, as he described in his email via EFTM.com, long-time listener, long-time pain in the ass. Very, yeah, that's, yeah, very, that's Very self-aware. <laughs> What's happening, mate? How can I help you? Mate, uh, we've got uh, none of those uh, lectures or Googles or any of that sort of stuff, and the family want to get into it, but I don't know where to start. So, what have you got? Anything smart? Anything kind of cool happening in the world? Absolutely nothing. Really? 
So you've been this. You've been a long time listener, and I haven't converted you to anything yet. Oh, hang on. Well, you know, I've got the Orbi. I've got okay everything you've ever recommended. I've got except for I haven't got one of these bloody okay. googly things. Um, well, you know what? It's a funny one because I I have ebbed and flowed around them over the years, and at the moment I'm very sold on Amazon Alexa. Right. Now, I don't know whether that's because I have this annoyance with Google about the fact that, and I've, I've whinged about this before, but I pay for Google. I pay like 15, 20 bucks a month for Google because it's my you know, corporate email, if you want to look at it that way, as well as a bunch of storage. And because yep. I have a, a, a corporate style email account with them, I can't use, I can't ask Google for what's on my day. I can't, it can't read my calendar. It's stupid. Stupid. But stupid. for people with a standard Gmail account... It's yep. epic. Like, it's brilliant. You can do all those things. But Alexa, I've found to be very easy to set up with pretty much everything. My kids wanted Alexa, so I put one in each of their rooms, and they can talk to it. Here's my favorite thing about Alexa. You, yep. you whisper to her, she whispers back. Ooh. So you say, Alexa, turn down the lights. And she'll say, okay. And it's... It's not sexy. It's just cool. It's really, it's smart. It's quite intelligent. Well, it's better than being yelled at by the wife to do exactly. it. Exactly. So. How, how old are the kids? Uh, oh, 17 and 11. So the other thing is there's a lot of fun with these things. Both Google and Alexa have quizzes and games and things you can do. Mate, okay. in reality, it, the only the only important thing is I do think it's important to choose an ecosystem and run with it. So yep. um, Apple is a bit restrictive because it's very, very narrow at the moment, its ecosystem, and frankly, it's too expensive to buy a HomePod anyway. So okay. you're better off just starting real simple. Go and get... Um, Either one, and we'll talk about which one in a second, but the, of the basic, like the, the uh, Nest Mini or the Echo Dot or Spot, whatever it's called. You know, it's like under yep. 50 bucks or under 100 bucks, certainly. And then buy Sweet. one light bulb. Okay. One light bulb. Because then you're, you're actually not just playing with the voice, but you're actually utilizing it. So there's a mechanism to use it. And that's the way you can also start convincing the wife that all the light bulbs we replace from now on should be smart, etc. <laughs> Um, I like it. I don't. I don't honestly believe there's an advantage to either one of them. Pretty much anything that works with Google is going to work with Amazon, um, yep. and I, it, it could simply be whether you like the look of one or the other. Um, okay. Have you got anything Amazon in your life? Do you have an Amazon account at all? Absolutely no. Do you have a Gmail account, or do you run have a Gmail? Account? No, we're Gmail, and uh, and when you say we, like, does your do you, does your wife have Gmail? Do you share a calendar or anything like that? No, I can't touch her calendar. She's too busy and too smart for me. So right. it's just me. Yeah. Um, we all run Apple, so that's about it. Yeah, mate. Honestly, I, I don't think it matters. But I'm gonna. Here's the weird thing. Despite the fact that I'm saying I'm using uh, Alexa at the moment. Yep. I, I've quite enjoyed, I've just been setting up a, a new theatre system of speakers I'm going to do a review on next week, and it was very seamless with Google. The Google Home app is very intuitive. So I'm going to say mm -hmm. on app alone, I think the Google app is better, but they okay. both, both systems are great. Both systems respond well. Both systems are smarter than Siri. So it is six and one half dozen the other, but my, my leaning is towards Google purely based on the Google Home app. Done. So, mate, go, you know what, just uh, go to JB's and buy a Nest Mini, which is what yep. they now call the little little one, and okay. uh, and then go to Harvey's or if JB have got one, find a light bulb, one light bulb. Okay. Make sure you yep. check before you go whether you screw or bayonet at home. Okay, don't stuff that <laughs> up. We've all done it. Um, yes. 
and and just set up the don't do them both at the same time just set up the google get it working properly so you can ask it stupid questions or whatever then set up the the bulb separately because most of the time what you do with the smart devices whether it's a bulb or a bloody garage door is you set up the app and everything first and then you link them together so, okay. So yep. you, you tell Google that I've got this other thing I've already used and then it kind of asks you for the login to that other thing. So it's like I've got the little Sensibo Sky which controls my air conditioner and I just had to log in with my Sensibo account and it went, oh, okay, it's real, here's the details and I can now ask Alexa to turn the man cave down by two degrees. Beautiful. Oh, I want that. Yes. Have you got a, um, a split system or a ducted air? No. Got a good old duct that's been here for about twenty years. Yeah, and there's no there's no remote control for it. It's a thing on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah no can do unless it's got a remote. You're screwed. Because I would turn it off every night when I'm at work to annoy the family. Okay, uh, I think it's good <laughs> that you can't do that then. <laughs> yeah, but you can possibly. But you can play with the lights. Yeah, I'll you do know, that. You know what you do? You just flash flash the flash the bedroom light when you're coming home. <laughs> that sounded inappropriate. I was just yeah. indicating that he was coming home. That's all. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let the other guy get out first. So that's oh, good. that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, turn on turn on the back back light as well, so they can don't trip over in the backyard. Yeah. Nice work. I love it. Thanks, mate. All right. Enjoy the Google. Let me know how you go, and let me know how it um how it all plays out for you. Excellent. Thanks, Trev. All right, buddy. And if you've got a question, like Glenn, just go to the website eftm.com. Yes. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you've got a question, go to the website, eftm.com. Jason's on the line. G'day, Jace. Morning, Trevor. What can I do for you, buddy? I've just got a question about a modem for um, setting up NBN. Yep. I've had a look at starting with uh, my Aussie broadband, and their modem's 149 bucks or whatever it is. Yep. But I was just wondering if there's a better option. Should I just spend that $150 on upgrading to a better modem so the modem itself can't won't get any better than that one right what sort of nbn do you, do you have do you know is it fiber to the curb fiber to the node do you know anything about what technology you're getting uh i don't because it's going to be a new connection for us but yeah. i think it's fttp so is that fiber to the premise? premise wow yes fast awesome very good so here's the thing, and it is there's only one risk in what I'm about to tell you, and that is that it doesn't work and you have to wait for the modem to arrive. But I I believe now, having tested this recently on a on a hybrid fiber coaxial HFC connection, I believe you don't need a modem. I believe what you need is a Wi-Fi network. So, and you, I think you, you, how big's your family? Uh. Two adults, two kids. And is the house kind of long, wide, high? Is there any, like, Wi-Fi um, issues in your home at the moment? Uh, yeah, it used to, when we were on ADSL, it used to have a couple of black spots. It's a single story, but it's fairly large footprint. Yep. And there was a couple of black spots, obviously, when it got away from the modem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what I've always recommended are what we call mesh Wi-Fi systems. Um, there's really three or four good ones out there. Netgear Orbi being my favourite and recommended. Uh, Google Wi-Fi, D-Link um, Cover and Linksys VLOP. Mesh Wi-Fi. They're basically, when you look at them on a box in a retail store, you, it's, a, it's a picture of multiple devices, not one. <clears throat> and, yep. and in normal circumstances, one of them plugs into your modem and then the other one just plugs into a PowerPoint in the house. But in your case, you don't need a modem because you've got fibre to the premises. The NBN will install a little box in your house which is what they call an NTD, Network Termination Device. And that little box with an NBN logo on it is the end of the NBN network, and it's got an Ethernet, like a network port in it. 
you plug in a Netgear Orbi, pop it in there, and that takes the internet from the NTD, from the NBN, into your Orbi, and then that Orbi spreads the Wi-Fi through your home. So you just need to buy a Netgear Orbi or a Google Wi-Fi, whatever you choose, um, and that is not a cheap investment. That's a you know three to five hundred dollar investment, depending on which one you get. And the more you spend, the better it is. Let me be clear. Um, yep. But you don't need a modem. But but gotcha. if you buy a modem from Aussie, it's excellent. But you'll have the exact same dead spots as you did before with ADSL. So you're better gotcha. off investing in a Wi-Fi network that covers the whole home, and then yep. plugging that into the NBN. Now if it does not work, and I, I genuinely don't think it won't. Don't think it will. No, I think it will. <laughs> I got caught up in my own words. Um, then you might need the modem, but I'm pretty confident you'll be able to plug that Orbi into the NBN box and it'll just give you network and connections. And Aussie will help you through that. They're very great on the phone with support. Okay. So, mate, invest in what my, my recommendation, invest in Wi-Fi, not in a modem. Wi-Fi being the, the real problem in your home, modem is a purely a way of getting the internet into your home and with fibre to the premises, you don't actually need a modem. The, the, the NBN comes in via the NBN box and you can triple check that with Aussie Broadband um, before you do it. Okay, excellent. So, yeah, so spend that 150 bucks and go buy an Orbi or something. And exactly. Save, save the 150 invest a little bit more in the Wi-Fi and you'll get full speed. Because if, remember, if you sign up for the 1,000 plan or 250 plan, that's solid speed coming into the house. You're also going to get that yep. all the way through the house with a good Wi-Fi network. Gotcha. All right, awesome. Mate. Happy days. Good luck. Thanks very much, Trevor. No Thanks worries. For Thanks for getting in touch. And if you've got a question like Jace, hit me up. Go to the website, EFTM.com. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. Well, I've been doing something very interesting over the last few months. Um, I've been wearing a backpack on bushwalks. I've been wearing a backpack while mowing the lawns. I was wearing a backpack at some events. I even wore a backpack um, just walking around the house. It's very strange. Very strange, but it's very scientific. And the reason for it is I was asked to take part in a essentially a global trial, a global air quality project with Dyson. Dyson, as you know, have a range of air purifiers and other products that, you know, they talk very constantly about the, the need for better air quality. And it was an interesting experiment for me to think, well, my air quality is pretty fine. So yeah, I'll give it a crack. But to look at some of my results and talk about the, the program itself, I'm joined by Jess Rowley, who's a senior engineer at Dyson. G'day, Jess. Good morning. It is morning for you, afternoon for me. I appreciate you getting up early. This is a this is a very interesting uh, project. Uh, talk me through what brought Dyson to want to do this, is actually look at the global air quality, not just in one place, but all around the world you're doing this. So I think it starts back in 2018 when we decided to develop this technology. Um, we became involved in a project um, researching air quality for school children on their trips to and from work, um, which was um, conducted in London. And at the end of that study, um, we sort of had 100 of these now portable air quality sensors that were good enough to be used by um leading universities researching, um, that was King's College London. And so, um, you know, we've had an opportunity here to start to learn more about um, the global picture of air quality, you know, at a really personal level. And Dyson's a global business and, you know, we know quite a lot about some bits of air quality and some some markets where we um, 
operate, we we know that there's less awareness of air quality and it's a really good piece of technology to be able to start to engage people and help them to learn and educate them about what um, things they can do to tackle air quality, where air quality issues might occur that they hadn't um, thought of or you know, even just put it on their radar in the first place. Because mm. like you say, a lot of people just think my air quality is good, so I don't need to com- be concerned about that. So, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a journey to get to the stage where we're now you know, doing these kinds of projects. So um, it's really exciting to start to learn a bit more of a, the nuance between different major cities around the world and what might be yeah. affecting the people that live there. Because it's interesting, you think about, um, and I'm assuming it's like this around the world, but here in Australia, when a major infrastructure project happens, and I have one near me, there's a big tunnel being built to take trucks off the road and put them underground. There is lots of stations been positioned around my suburbs that have these things that are the size of a shipping container that are measuring all sorts of things from air quality. But you've been able to create a technology, create a gadget that sits in the front pocket of a backpack. Because let's be clear, this is a normal backpack. I could use it for putting the kids' drink bottles and, and things in while we were going for a walk. But in the front pocket, there's a there's a small vent and it's it's sucking in air and it's measuring it and storing it con- constantly. It's a, a fascinating bit of technology. <laughs> yeah, I hope you weren't too disappointed that it didn't look more like a sort of Ghostbusters cool <laughs> power pack. But um, we're pretty proud of how we got to manage it. That sort of condensed down into the front pocket of that backpack. But really, the reason we're able to do that is that we are able to make sure that we are calibrating the sensors that we use so we can be really confident in the data that we're getting from them. And that basically means that those big monitoring sites that you've just mentioned on top of often um, shipping containers and I've seen around London as well, um, we tend to go and put a load of sensors there and um, gather a load of data next to all the other sort of lab equipment that's there. So, you know, those sensors are worth thousands and thousands of pounds, whereas um, our little ones just hope to be as good. Um, and so we just make sure that we understand how um, how they perform against that lab equipment, which um, gives us the sort of accuracy that a lot of more portable sensors don't, um, don't offer, I suppose. Uh, so what have you what have you seen in the results? Now there's a bunch of these backpacks. You've had them with multiple people in multiple countries. Uh, my my own results um, I, I found fascinating, and I'll tell you a couple of things that that stood out to me. The first one was mowing the lawns. Mowing the lawns produced a a high um, particle levels. I think you would describe them while I was mowing the lawns, which means that the the backpack was detecting something in the air. Now, of course, I'm mowing the lawns, but What's most interesting to me is I use an electric lawnmower, so it's not like it's petrol fumes or it's a a petrol motor or something that's doing that. I actually expected almost a zero result there. So, is that a is that an uncommon thing, or do you do you think that I should be shocked by that in terms of what result I get from such a simple task? I think there's so many factors when you're outside that could affect your air quality that I'm. I'm to be honest, seeing that big spike when you were mowing the lawn and knowing that you have an electric lawnmower, to me, is quite surprising. But there could be so many things um, impacting that. So, you know, because your lawnmower's got moving parts and you're moving around, it might just be a case of it sort of making things from the ground more airborne again. Mm, yep. So um, things that, you know, heavier particles that have already dropped to the ground and making them more airborne. Um. And also because there are moving parts on the lawnmower, there could just be other bits sort of being released by the lawnmower, even though it's 
you know, not burning a, a fuel right there. Yeah. And I guess the and also, other... you know, things could just be sort of travelling into your garden. That's right. <laughs> from your neighbour or something like that. There's so many factors. Um, that's why it's quite hard to understand sort of what specifically is causing air quality because without sort of being there and observing, it's hard to um, extract that sort of context from this data. But, totally. Um, the, yeah, it's the, interesting the, to see that spike. The other spike or just consistent uh, outcome was that when I'm at the office, there's a higher level. And it's interesting because I, I kind of work alone, I, you know, especially during the lockdown phase. Um, I'm lucky enough to have my own office around the corner from home. It's just my own space, really. But you think, why would there be a problem there? And your simple, I guess, reminder to me uh, at the point of the results was, don't forget to ventilate. Don't forget to open the windows. I haven't opened the windows in a year here because I think of it as an office you turn on the aircon. So is that, a, is that actually a, a problem we have, thinking that we're inside, so if we want good air, we should just, you know, turn the aircon on or whatever it might be. Are we, are we a bit trained to think that the outside air is actually the problem when actually we need that ventilation, we need that circulation? Possibly, and I think, you know, you live in a much hotter part of the world than I do. So yeah. I, uh, having the AC is quite a luxury, but um, I think people do often forget that um, you know, just being doing something simple as ventilating your house can help you to have a, a good air change. Um, and there's a bit of a caveat to that, I suppose, and your air quality outside needs to be really good. Yeah. So there's no point opening the windows to let poor air in. So you know, when you had your um, bushfires, you wouldn't want to be doing that. But when it's a nice, clear, um, clear day, then that's certainly an activity that you can do to help to remove some of the pollution that's been trapped inside, you know, whatever activities you might be um, doing that are bringing pollution in there, then they may get trapped. So um, it's, yeah, I, I would say that's a, mm. a thing that pe- people don't tend to think of. It's maybe too simple. But that also goes to the, the, I guess, the importance and the technology behind the consumer products that you make uh, in terms of air purifiers that we can simply buy, whether they're a, a personal desk one or a, or a room-based one. They now, I mean, over the course of a few years, they've gone from being a thing you turn on to purify the air to a thing that um, has a graph on the front of it that shows you when the air is, is worse than it is normally. And so actually you can make those judgments yourself with a product like that, can't you? Because you can say... Well, I've opened the windows to ventilate, but actually the air quality is worse given what the what the Dyson is telling me. Yeah, exactly. So if you can sort of see that that purifier is really struggling to clean the room, it might be there's a constant source of pollution coming in through your window, so making it almost impossible for that purifier to help. But I think the graph on the front of that machine is so useful because, like you say, you just start to learn about what potential sources there could be contributing to poor air quality in your home and, you know, makes you have that behaviour change, which is kind of what this um, air quality investigation project is all about. It's mm. about sort of arming people with the, the knowledge to make those quite sort of easy changes, really, yeah. um, that could have quite a, a significant impact. What, what's the, Just finally, uh, before we talk uh, to a professor who knows this stuff in terms of the impacts in health, but from, from all the, the results you've seen thus far, what is, what is the most stark thing that you've learnt uh, in terms of the, the, either the air quality differences in, in certain areas or the commonality across the world um, in terms of where we are most exposed to, to air quality or poor air quality? I think, for me, the most interesting thing is seeing air quality data on such a personal level. So, 
you know, you mentioned that you thought you had good air quality and we've even seen in some of your data that there are moments when there's an air quality issue to tackle and I think that issue for on a, in a global picture is often um, pinned on other places in the world and that have a bit of a reputation of having poor air quality but when we bring it down to a personal level there's probably work everyone can do to sort of reduce their own exposure which has been really interesting to start to explore. And hopefully Australia comes up with the best air quality overall. That's what I want to see because I think we do have the, the, the best. The <laughs> competition. It is. It should be. I think we need a ranking and, and we need to do this test every six to 12 months so that we can get a, a global chart. If we're going to we're going to have a ranking of our Netflix speeds, we should have a ranking of our air quality as well. I think that's probably where we should be heading, if it's, especially if it's a health issue, which we'll find out in a moment. Jess, lovely to talk to you. Thank you for, for your explanation of the of the program that I've been going through. Joining me also on the line is Professor Satiris Vardalakis, who is a professor of global environment health at the Australian National University. His title is actually much, much longer than that, but my goodness, Professor, I don't know how. You must be a very busy man. You must be a very busy man. Good afternoon, Trevor. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yes, yes, busy, busy times in environmental health in so Australia and then globally. I find I find this study fascinating on that front because what you're also getting, you, you would have amazing data from different studies that have been done. But is this a fascinating thing for you to be able to see? I guess everyday people using a, a, a pretty high tech bit of kit to measure their everyday air quality, which gives you an insight essentially into what's going on too, doesn't it? Absolutely. So this is a very fascinating project. Uh, the use of portable devices, so like these sensors that uh, Jess was describing, um, some of them, you know, can be uh, put in a backpack or you know, somebody can carry them. Uh, uh, or we can have uh, wearable devices. And, and these are typically much less costly than the big kits that we see in, in uh, you know, in permanent air quality monitoring stations in a city. So mm. these devices, the portable devices, give us uh, the opportunity to, to measure personal exposure to air pollution and, and uh, try to understand better uh, how exposure changes over time and, and also see what the health effects are in relation to different levels of exposure, different pollutants, and, uh, and of course, the impact they have to different population groups, like, uh, you know, uh, adults, uh, elderly people, young children, pregnant women. So we can study the effects of air pollution to uh, the general population, but also to sensitive population groups. So looking at the kind of results I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen a, a bit of them as well, does it shock you some of the results you see in everyday people's homes, like the, like when we're cooking or just the, the general levels of, uh, of particulate matter in the air in our homes? So the, the results are sometimes surprising. We, so we see peak in exposure, uh, as we pointed out. So, you know, depending on our daily activities, exposure to air pollution changes very quickly. And that depends on, on what we're doing, but also on, on the atmospheric kind of conditions outdoors, you know, mm. how much pollution is coming from traffic, how much pollution is coming from industry, or even from natural sources or from, uh, you know, bushfires as we had them here yeah. in, in recent months. So air pollution changes dramatically and, and, and very quickly. And, uh, and, and of course, our activities, you know, cooking, smoking, uh, driving a car or, uh, Mondelone, uh, all these activities have an impact on, on our, our exposure to air pollution. 
So we generate pollution, but we're also exposed to pollution which is out there. What are the health effects uh, of poor air quality? What are the common things that people might, maybe they're having these symptoms, but they don't know it's resulted to, as a, as a result of air quality issues. What are the things that we think are caused by air quality issues? Air, air, air pollution depends very much on the type of chemicals that we're exposed to mm. and also on the, on the duration of the exposure, the level of exposure. And as I said, this changes uh, throughout the day. And, and of course, depending on the activities, we're uh, exposed to different uh, gases, different particles, uh, which are in the air. Uh, the, the, effect, the effects, again, depend on the individual. So some people, uh, you know, healthy person, adult, it's unlikely to have uh, to experience uh, discomfort if they are exposed to the type of pollution that you are exposed to during your uh, daily cycle, mm. uh, your daily activities. So the, you are exposed to some peaks of air pollution while cooking or driving, busy traffic. You know, for somebody who doesn't have underlying health conditions like asthma, bronchitis, uh, somebody who's healthy is unlikely to experience any uh, long-term issues uh, in relation to uh, these spikes in air pollution. You, you might still experience some discomfort. You might experience some uh, irritation in the eyes, in the nose or in the throat or maybe some coughing. Uh, but this is transient. This is it's going to go away as, as soon as you move to a, a cleaner environment. The, the problem is with people who have existing problems, yes. existing conditions like uh, asthma or bronchitis or uh, obstructive pulmonary disease um, or cardiac disease. So these people are much more sensitive and uh, exposure to a peak of air pollution, even if this peak is not very high, might trigger uh, an asthma attack or uh, a more serious uh, health condition. And, and, and of course, this is why we, when we provide advice to people, we, we say, you know, for adult people, there's a set of, you know, we provide certain advice, but if you are sensitive to air pollution for whatever reason, because of your age, mm. because of your health condition, or because of your situation, then you need to take additional precautions to reduce your exposure. So, so the, if, if we're talking about uh, long-term exposure, of course, the uh, the situation is much more serious when the, and the health effects can be, uh, you know, much more uh, serious uh, if people are exposed to air pollution over months, years, or over a lifetime. Mm. So we know that uh, children uh, uh, who grow up in, in more polluted areas, in more polluted neighbors, neighborhoods, uh, they they don't fully develop their uh, lung capacity. So they they have a restricted lung growth uh, later in life, and, and that makes them. Uh, more susceptible to uh, respiratory infections. So it's important for people to reduce their exposure to air pollution uh, in the long term. A, a spike in air pollution here and there is unlikely to cause a, yeah. any uh, long-term effects. But long-term exposure to pollution in, in a heavily polluted environment like in cities in, in East Asia or, or India, yeah. this can cause a, a serious problem for health. Uh, and it, it reduces life expectancy, it can cause uh, serious health conditions, uh, and it can cause uh, some of these pollutants are carcinogenic, for example. So there are, you know, uh, there's, there are cause of uh, serious concern for yeah. health. Do, do you see, I mean, the Dyson backpack is a, a fascinating piece of technology when you consider how small it is and, and the, the things that it's able to do. Do you see a point, just finally, where we might get a piece of technology like that that will help people with those pre-existing conditions, uh, potentially, you know, be alerted or be aware of their surroundings in, in a greater detail, you know, in the same way that, I don't know, a diabetic can, you know, 
check themselves for, for their blood sugar levels or whatever it might be, um, is it possible that someone who suffers from those conditions could benefit from this kind of technology if it were to be kind of more mainstream? I think so. I think I think that's the the direction the direction of travel. So uh, these technologies are becoming uh, more affordable and and smaller in size, uh, lightweight. So eventually, there will be wearable devices which measure air pollution uh, the same way as they measure um, uh, temperature or humidity yeah. or other environmental uh, variables. So so th- this is going to happen sooner or later. Um, the technology is progressing uh, very fast. Uh, of course, uh, there are concerns sometimes with the with the accuracy of the of these measurements when the devices are becoming uh, very small and and, uh, um, and you know they don't use the same kind of technology as reference equipment. But mm. the, overall, the, the the field is moving, and 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 this certainly direction of traveling. In, in 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 the future, we're going to wear many of these devices, and yeah. we'll we'll be able to tell us, uh, you know, what is our exposure to air pollution um, uh, continuously, and and that will help us uh, uh, adjust our behavior uh, in a way that reduces our exposure to pollution hmm. um, by by avoiding uh, busy traffic or avoiding busy busy streets, or ventilating more or. Um, avoid, avoid, avoiding smoky places, uh, you're using uh, more environmentally friendly products. So it will help us, uh, it will educate us and, and help us reduce our exposure to air pollution. Absolutely. Well, it's a fascinating study, uh, Professor. Thank you for your insights into the impacts of uh, air quality on our lives and our health. And, uh, and to Dyson for, for, the, for the quality air quality project overall globally, which is fascinating. And all the details and the, the top-line results from cities around the world are going to be made available online uh, on the Dyson website, which will be fascinating for everyone to see. Professor and Jess, thank you both for your time. Um, lovely to chat, lovely to catch up, and it was, it was a bit of fun being involved. So uh, thank you very much to, to both of you and uh, specifically to De- Jess for getting up so early today. Thank you very much. No problem. Nice to see you. Good on you. And uh, and uh, I'll have full details of my own personal results uh, from the Dyson Air Quality uh, Global Study up at EFTM.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Uh, go to the website if you've got a question, EFTM.com. That's what Phil did. G'day, Phil. Hey, Trevor. What can I do for you, mate? I'm chasing up a new printer for my computer. Yep. And it's a nightmare shopping around online. <laughs> I wondering what idea, what ideas you had. Well, what do you what do you need it for? What do you need it to do? Just uh, just print, scan, and copy mainly. Right. So you need a multifunction. Um, how much yep, printing? How much printing do you do? Oh, not a great deal. Probably you know, a dozen items, dozen a week. So what's happened to the the old one? What uh, is it? Uh, chucked it in for you, mate? Is it? Well, I've had it for quite a few years, but now it's a brother. Yep. And uh, it's saying that um, due to some update, Microsoft update, the printing stops, the printing stopped, huh. and I'm meant to wait till July before the new update, the new driver details come through to start it up again. <laughs> but it's an old printer anyway, is it? Yeah, it's an old printer. Time for an upgrade regardless. What are you prepared well, to right, spend yeah. on, on a printer, mate? Um, oh... I haven't really thought about that. A good printer is a good printer, so, you yeah. know, willing to pay whatever. Do you do any photography or anything like that? You don't want to print photos, anything like that? Oh, I'll print the occasional photos from the grandkids and that. Yeah, okay. So, look, the, the big thing I would absolutely encourage these days is, frankly, 
um, the idea of not using a, a cartridge-based printer. Use what we call a, an ink tank printer. Um, there are there are a couple uh, out there. Um, Epson and Canon both have um, both have the facilities. Do you have a smartphone? No, I haven't got one actually. You don't have a smartphone. Your, your wife doesn't have a smartphone. No, she just got the um, the mobile phone. It's about. I don't know what the problem. Hang on, I'm on it now. I don't know if it's a smartphone or what. Yeah, no. Well, it, it, bottom line, you don't want to do any printing from the phone, I'm assuming, yeah? No, no, no. Yeah. So, look, here's the thing. If you if you go to Officeworks or Harvey Norman or JB Hi-Fi, there's real, they send you down two paths. One of them is a really cheap printer, um, mm-hmm. and, and they're, like, amazing value. You can get printers for, like, 50, 100 bucks. They're excellent. Yeah, I've noticed. noticed but, that, yeah. but after about a week and a half... You'll need to fill it up with new ink. You'll need to put a new printer cartridge in. And the printer cartridges are $80, $90. They're expensive. And that's just yeah. this time. And then in five months, six months, you'll have to put another set of cartridges in. And they're same again, again. It's a repetitive situation. These new printers yeah. called uh, Epson, call them EcoTank. Eco tank. Um, Epson. 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 EcoTank, as in ecological. Eco-tank. Yep. And I think... Canon call them endurance. What it means is, and you can see this if you go and look in store, what it means is there's actually these little jugs of ink inside them and the mm-hmm. the print head draws the ink like a like a fuel line in a car from the petrol tank. It draws it in yeah, and gotcha. spits it out. And when it runs low, you just pour more ink in and the ink is like 20, 30 bucks. But Phil... I've done oh, that. Yeah. I've had one of these Epson Eco Tanks for five years, and I've filled yeah. it up twice. Yeah. yeah. So you pay well, up front. You pay up front, like $300, $400 for a good multifunction printer, but yeah. you won't need to put ink in that thing for two years. There you go. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I have noticed a lot of, a lot of these companies don't make you use the original ink cartridges. They don't or they do? They, they don't. You've got, to, you've got to buy the original cartridges to put in. That's right, yeah. So in, a lot, a lot, of, them, lot of them don't like the third-party ink cartridges, and that's why I love these EcoTank-style printers. You're just pouring. Mm-hmm. You, you still buy their ink, but it's so cheap. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's a bottle. It's, it literally lasts you two years. You pour it in and fill up the tank, and it runs again for another year or two. Obviously, it depends how much you print. But i got three kids and a wife who does admin for a baseball team and, you know, the kids have got schoolwork. We print a bit. Like, we're printing every day. Yeah. And got you there, I'm yeah. telling you, it lasts two years. Yeah. So pay up front. Invest up front. Epson Eco Tank, or Canon Endurance and and you'll you'll be laughing all the way to the bank. I've written those days down, Kerber. Yeah, I appreciate do you that. Have, do you have kids or grandkids? Sorry? Do you have kids or grandkids? Yeah, I've got three grandkids. And have you got three kids? Have you got the internet at home? Yep. So the other thing is, just as a nice little upsell, um, these new printers, most of them will connect to your internet at home. And when the kids or grandkids come around on their phones, on their tablets, on their cool, funky devices, they can actually wirelessly print to these new printers. So they yeah, can just yeah, I did read up on that. Yeah, I did yeah. see that actually. Yeah. Looking at a photo and hit print. It's very cool. Through the wi- through Wi-Fi. Yep, just through Wi-Fi, right on the phone. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. All right, Phil. Happy shopping, my man. Good champion, Trevor. Really appreciate your no call. No worries, mate. You uh, you let me know how you go. 
stay healthy, mate. Thanks, mate. You too. And uh, if you've got a question like Phil, jump on the blog, go to the website, eftm.com. Well, look, I, I did want to talk about something. I probably will follow uh, a double up here on Two Bikes Talking Tech, but I, I reviewed this week and there's a video on the YouTube channel, the Facebook, and there is an article and a video on EFTM.com. A $99 Bluetooth speaker that brings back the boombox, baby. $99, a big W. It is a boombox, okay? Looks like a boombox, acts like a boombox. It's a boombox, baby. Now, what it is, it's a $99 Bluetooth speaker, but it's also USB, so you can put your MP3 files on a USB. It's an FM radio. And on the front is a CD player as well. But get this, when you're playing a CD, you put a USB stick in, you can hit record, and it rips the CD. Very cool. Like, if you need to digitize a CD, that's the simplest way you'll ever do it. Very cool. 100 bucks. It's not bad quality sound. It's battery operated if you buy eight C-size batteries. And it's 100 bucks. It's going to go up to 149 after the end of a to- the toy sale, which may be, frankly, tomorrow. I don't know. But get in quick. But, man, a really cool product. I don't see it as being your everyday Bluetooth speaker, but I see you bring it out at the next barbecue. Oh, yeah. People are going to want to see this puppy. It's cheap, it's plastic, it's simple, it's easy, it's from Laser, but it's a big W. And I just <laughs> think if you've got 100 bucks disposable, go and get one. It's a bit of fun, and it might just give you a little trip down memory lane. EFTM. You're listening to the EFTM podcast. EFTM. Jump on the website if you've got a question, EFTM.com. Trevor Long with you. G'day, Deanne. Hi, Trevor. How are you? Yeah, really good. What can I do for you? Um, Trevor, well, I don't actually have an antivirus um, software on my laptop <gasps> nor my mobile phone at the moment, and I've been told that I should have. So mm. I'm just wondering what would be the best one. Everyone seems to talk about Norton's because obviously that's the widely known one. But, um, yeah, I basically only use my laptop and that for doing just emails or banking sort of inquiries or um, transferring money, etc. And my mobile phone, I'm just not a tech-savvy person, so yeah. I only use it for the basic sort of thing. So yeah. I was just wondering what, yeah, what would be the best? Not having antivirus is kind of like, and I don't know what it's like in Western Australia, but in New South Wales we have compulsory third-party car insurance. Um, and, then, and then on, on top of that, you have your, your comprehensive insurance. Yes. Um, yes. You know, not having antivirus is like not having comprehensive insurance. You know, it's, it's not required, but it certainly yeah. is most recommended because if something goes wrong, you may never recover from it. And, and I guess that's the risk you take. That's the dice you're rolling. Now, on your smartphone, it's even more optional, um, especially for a low average user, basically, someone who's just using it for those basic things. But mm-hmm. most of the companies who do antivirus do a what we call a multi-device solution. So you pay once and it works mm-hmm. on a few devices. So if you had a partner okay. or someone else or another device, you could put it on that as well. Um, okay. There are four companies that I think are the, the kind of top tier in terms of antivirus. Norton, Trend Micro, McAfee, and Kaspersky. Now, I have a commercial relationship with Trend Micro. I've done a lot with Norton over the years. They'd be my two preferences. Um, I know Trend Micro have what they call an internet security package across multiple devices, 
and yeah, it's probably going to cover like six devices, but you only need it on two. Um, yes. But look, it's a great investment because you're. It's what it does is it second guesses you, right? So okay. when you're you know searching the internet and or some someone on Facebook sends you a link and you click it, it goes, yeah, hang on, let me check first, and it kind of checks what it knows about that website, and if it knows that website is likely to scam you or take your details or has been hacked, it'll actually put up a blocker and say, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, let's not go here. Or do you really, really want to go here? And those are the simple things that protect us online today that are very useful. So um, okay. that would be my recommendation. Get it, get it. And you can yep. do it all online. You don't need to go to a shop. You can just go to trendmicro.com.au uh, and sign up. And, and they'll give you a little code. You can download the app and then download it on your computer. Very easy to do. You just, just dedicate okay. 20 minutes, half an hour of your life to life admin for the week and okay. you'll, you'll have it done in no yeah. time. So, so basically between Norton and Trend Micro is your Yeah, and, and suggestion. I, would, I would assume they're very much a muchness um, okay. in terms of price and all those different things. Um, mm-hmm. Just going to do a little search here on my notes because I have a suspicion, but I don't remember what it actually was that I gave away. I gave away a bunch of stuff recently, um, and I think, I think, it, I might even have a free code for you, okay? Don't tell mm, anyone else, goodness. okay? Just between, <laughs> just between me and you, all right? Um, oh, sure, okay. No I've, got a, I've got a code, which yeah. I'm going to say this to you, Deanne. I don't know if it's still going to work because it was uh, it was two months ago. But my guess is it'll still work. It's for the mm-hmm. Trend Micro Security Suite, which includes Wi-Fi and and a, and, a, and a whole bunch of additional things. So I'm going to give you a, a code to download that. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's an activation code. You um, what you do is you download. Uh, you sign into Trend Micro with an account, and then you you redeem this code. Okay. So okay. I've got your email. I'm going to send Good you luck. a copy of this. This little—it's oh, just wonderful. one of those crazy 16-digit codes. Looks worse than a credit card number, and okay. uh, and it'll it'll cover you across all your devices. All right. Oh, wonderful! Thank you. That's let me, wonderful. Let me know how it goes, Deanne. Okay, we'll do. Thanks a lot, Trevor. You. And if you've got a question, like Deanne, just go to the website, eftm.com. This is the EFTM podcast. Thank you for listening, Trevor. Along with you, and eftm.com is the place to go. If you want to get in touch, get on the show. Uh, Sean's on the line. G'day, Sean. Hi. How are you, mate? Very well, thank you. What's happening, buddy? Well, I'm on a farm, Trevor, and as usual, when you're on a farm, your internet's very slow. Yep. So um, we've just upgraded a few months ago now from ADSL2 with speeds of about three megabytes per second up you know, uploading or downloading, Oof. and um, we've gone to Optus Wireless because they put an Optus tower up not too far from us, about three k's away, Right. and the performance has improved. We're up to about, uh, at a good time, 20 megabytes per second, which is a huge increase for us, Yeah. but I was wondering about the possibility of putting an antenna up to hopefully improve that further, and then... Also on our farm, I want to. Um, we have uh, intensive poultry on our farm, and we want to connect all our sheds up wirelessly and put cameras and temperature sensors through and and alarms, and hopefully run it all wirelessly. Interesting. Um, that's a really tough question, Sean. Because um, there's a couple of things. Firstly, you, you've gone Optus Wireless, and not, for example, the MBN satellite. Well, is there a question there? I mean, how much are you paying for the Optus Wireless? 
Uh, the Optus Wireless, we're on a $85 a month plan. Mm-hmm. That's 500 gigabytes. Okay, that's not too bad for wireless. Yeah, that's excellent. And is, um, is there no NBN satellite for you? Well, if you go to the NBN website, they say we have NBN available here yep. via SkyMaster. Yep. Um, but when you go to the providers, and I've been to two of them, and they came back and said, no, there's nothing in your area. Who, who did you go to? Which which providers? Uh, from memory, it was iPrimus, and I can't remember the other one, Trevor. Sorry. Mate, oh, the, the, I would go to SkyMesh. Okay. Yes, SkyMesh also said they came back with a, a um, email to me saying not available in your area at this stage. That's crazy because the satellites are up there pointing down at Earth, covering the whole country. There's no reason why it's not available. So there's a couple of things. I need your address. So once we've finished chatting and you got once you've got some time, jump on the, on the email and send me your full address because I'd like to actually check that. That's very weird. But right. now that you've got, you've got some better connection um, – the I would say did did Optus give you a little box or have you got what sort of device did they give you? I have a Huawei modem. Yeah, is it a uh, little tiny thing or a rather tall thing? Uh, it's about uh, two hundred mils high, long, skinny modem. Yeah, just stands up on its side. Yep. Yeah, right. Okay. So just, it's, it's obviously not 5G because you wouldn't have 5G. Uh, no, no, it's only 4G. <laughs> bush. Um, but what it is, is it's probably actually speed limited. So there's actually probably not possible to get much more than what you're getting. Um, you're probably getting the best you can get is what I'm saying. Um, if right. you, Do you have a mobile uh, with, with a 3G or 4G in it? I do. I have a – well, mine's still locked in with Telstra at this yeah. stage because um, – you know, I'm just running my plan out with Telstra. Yep. The, but my son son has a Optus mobile that um, that we've changed over to Optus. Yeah. About six months ago. Does and he know um, what speeds he's getting? Uh, not connected to the wireless. No, I don't think so. What, what, we can what check he that should out, do. What I'd like to know from him on his mobile phone, without being on your Wi-Fi, just being on Optus 4G. What speed does he get on his phone? So run speed test on your phone without being connected to your internet, just on the normal right. Optus network, because that'll tell you what the speeds in the area actually are and whether or not what you've been given by Optus is actually kind of like a speed throttled um, solution, which is fine, but the the fact is you, can, you might have to pay more, but you can get faster speeds on 4G, but they might charge a fair bit more for that. So that's in terms of speeds coming into your house, Really, your 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 limitation is the style of network that you've got. And given you've got a mobile tower there, I think you should be able to get more than 20, right? Now, right. But you will have to pay more because mobile data is much more expensive than NBN, for example. And I'll secondly, I'll follow up the NBN. Now, with regards to the sheds, how far are they from the house? Uh, we have five sheds. House, the closest one would be probably about 20 metres. Okay. And the furthest one would be, uh, as the crow flies, just over 100 metres. Oh, really? Okay, that's not too bad. Is there power in the sheds? Yes. So how much are you prepared to invest, though? I mean, this this could get expensive. Well, for the sake of um, looking after yeah, well, livestock, that, that's what Trevor. I would have thought. 
So I think it's actually quite possible. And But my only concern is I'm going to recommend to you very much a residential solution, <laughs> um, whereas I, I don't think it wouldn't be a bad thing to have a conversation with for example, Telstra, um, you know, in term, from a business perspective as to what options they have for um, monitoring equipment. They might have equipment that runs on like a narrow cast style network, which doesn't really utilize Wi-Fi or any of those things. They might have solutions that operate on, you know, 4G and, and cost-wise might actually work out to be a better solution. But from a residential expansion situation, you could go and get um, a Netgear Orbi, O-R-B-I. Now, what that'll do is one one end of it plugs into that Huawei modem from Op, from Optus, and right. then then you put the next one at the at the furthest edge of the house nearest the the shed, plug it into power inside the house, and then you buy a, th- a third one. So they're they're called satellites. So that when you buy it, it's a router and a satellite, and then you can buy additional satellites. And the great thing is you can try this with just one of the sheds. You don't have to roll it out to all of them. P- plug another satellite into the first shed. And just with your mobile phone or laptop, you'll be able to tell whether the Wi-Fi is out there and working. And then any you can install any any form of sensor that is internet connected. You know there are lots of different sensors out there in terms of temperature and all those things. I mean, just a little Eve EVE sensor are phenomenal in just just in giving you data about humidity and temperature and those kind of things. There's right. the there's the Natatmo, and again, these are all consumer solutions. I should be very clear. I don't really know about the farm industry. There might be better and more robust solutions, but there's the Natatmo weather station, which you could put a rain gauge out, you could put a temperature gauge out, you could put a wind gauge out, a whole bunch of things. But my only concern is that while ever you're limited to that kind of 20 meg down and two or three up, um, you... you the more devices you put here, the more you're going to throttle that network and it will it will create some form of congestion. So that's why, you know, you may need a conversation uh, about whether or not you should be paying more for internet that will actually be faster, which is right. why you get your son to do a test on his mobile phone standing out in the yard on 4G, not on the Wi-Fi. What speed do you get? That'll tell you what the network is capable of. Okay, but after that, man, you can assuming you expand that network across each of those sheds, and you might only need to put a satellite in every second one. Um, bingo, you, you've got yourself a massive Wi-Fi network covering the farm, and uh, Bob's your uncle. Right. The problem that we have with the sheds, they're of steel construction, so they get hot. As soon as you go inside with a mobile phone, your reception yeah. just disappears. Right. Well, I would think that be the same with wireless? It it, it might be, but I. I'd like to think that uh, a localized Wi-Fi network is more powerful at pushing through the the steel shed than a a remote wireless mobile connection. If you know what I mean. But again, right. you're going to know that from the get-go. You're going to know that from day one. Once you plug yep. it in, um, the first time you plug it in, you'll know. Which is why I say don't buy five of them. Just start off basic and see whether whether the concept works. Right. All right. We do. Um, a friend of my son's came up and we ran and we've got a little office that's just out the back of the house yep. that the that everything comes in through and then we ran a cable inside the house and he's put a a couple of um i call them a bit like saucers up in the roof yep with a light around the middle don't ask me what brand they are forever <laughs> but to improve the the wireless inside the house which did well, a great then job I th- then i think that's exactly you just need to expand that network into the sheds right and you could do it the same way dig a trench run a cable 
yeah, I'm trying to get away from digging trenches. <laughs> yeah, I know, but but it is the most reliable way to get connectivity from one place to another. You can dig a trench. What I'm saying is not within the sheds, just to the shed, and then inside right. the shed, that cable dangles there, and then inside the shed you put a, a, one of those little little wireless extenders, um, yep. which is essentially what you need to do so that you've got connectivity in there. But, again, all of this really only works if you've got a decent connection Wi-Fi. to the outside. Like, this is like saying yeah. let's build, you know, a metropolis on, on, on your farm with wonderful, you know, roads. It's like a, you know, a state, but then there's still a dirt road going out to the highway. Yes. That, that dirt road is your internet connection. And what you've got now is good. It might maybe it's maybe it's sealed, but but it's certainly not you know hot mix. <laughs> you you, yep. you really need to. You might need to pay a lot more for that decent connection at the gate. Right. So right, first, that's, first that's, that'd be the first thing improving the exactly um, first step. Get your son to do connection. a test and see what the four G speed capabilities are of your property, and then talk to Optus about spending more to get more. Right. So doing a test on your mobile phone, that'll give you the maximum speed that is available. Essentially, you're, you're by standing out in the middle of the yard on your mobile phone, connected to the 4G on the speed test app, you'll know what is capable. Because if he's only getting 20 and 3, 20 down, 3 up, then that's the speed in the area. But I'd be amazed right. if... How far away is the tower? Uh, just 3.1 kilometres is a, in a straight line. I mean, I'd think you should be getting 40 or 50, if not more. I really right. do so, right. and I think what you've been given is a speed-limited Optus Wi-Fi product, which is very smart from them in terms of a replacement for ADSL. Very smart way to go. But in terms of what you need and want, I'd like to see you operating on a, a higher speed plan, which is going to cost you more. Because that 500 gigabytes, you might only get 200 gigabytes or 100 gigabytes for 80 or 90 bucks. You might have to pay for the data. That's the kicker. Right. Okay. All right. Let me know how you go, mate. Let me know how you go with that speed test. Okay, will do. Thank you very much, Trevor. Good on you, Sean. Um, a complex one, but happy to help. And if you've got a question, I don't care what it is. It's all we, we learn something every day. Um, maybe maybe I've eaten his chickens too. It's a big chance. Let's be honest. I, I like chickens. Yummy. Uh, go to the web. <laughs> go to the website. Eftm.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, follow me on Instagram at TrevorLongAU and jump on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash EFTM online. Um, I'll uh, have a couple of days with Stephen Fennig out on the road. We're going to go and fly some drones and do some fun things, uh, review some products, drive some cars, just, you know, enjoy the country of New South Wales a little bit. And um, I hope you can join us on that, take us on that journey. Um, I'm probably going to switch off Twitter because the arguments, as you heard earlier in the show, probably much for me. Probably not good for my mental health. But, Hey, it's fun sometimes. Uh, Instagram, maybe we'll do a bit there. Maybe we'll do a bit on Facebook. It'll be a bit of fun. Uh, join us um, on the road trip uh, at Two Blokes Talking Tech. So, yeah, EFTM online is the Facebook page. Just search EFTM on Facebook or go to EFTM.com and click the links. Thank you for listening. If you've got a question, you've got a comment, you want to chat about anything, it's easy. Just go to the website, click Ask Trev, uh, send me an email. I'll get you on the show as soon as I possibly can. And if you do send an email and you are waiting for a call, it comes from a private number. So... Sorry if you ignored a private number this week and a few of you did. Didn't get you on the show. Maybe next week. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. We'll be back on the EFTM podcast.